episode number 31, TFS at CodePlex. This is Mickey Gousset. And this is Martin Woodward. And sadly, Paul could not make it today. But in his place, we have lined up a great guest. We have with us today Jonathan Wanigal, hopefully I got his name right, who is the Principal Development Manager over at CodePlex. Hello, this is Jonathan. Excellent. Well, we're going to start interviewing Jonathan hard and heavy here in a second. But before we did that, we wanted to mention a, a couple of quick links that our listeners may be interested in. One of the main ones that we wanted to point out was there's now been an update to the Team Foundation Server Power Tools. Martin, you want to tell us about that? Sure. So if you um, head over to Brian Harry's blog, um, shrinkster.com slash 1FZ6, 1FoxtrotZulu6, um, that'll give you some more information. But basically, it's um, we've done a, a brand new power tool release. Uh, we've released three different things. There's the there's the standard power tools, you know, that everybody knows and loves. There's also um, some build extensions. These are basically a set of extensions to Team Foundation Server that allow you to build um, Ant or Maven 2 projects. Um, I did some work on those, believe it or not. So there was some of my code checked into that. Woohoo! I've actually been doing C-sharp code at Microsoft. Crazy, eh? And then... <laughs> And then we've also, um, the MISCI provider has been re-released, though there wasn't any uh, major updates to that. Um, so over in the power tools, um, have you had a chance to have a look at them yet, Mickey? I have not, but as I've said on the show in the past, I am a huge proponent of the power tools. I use them constantly. I'm going to download the newest ones this week and start integrating them into my environment. So we fixed a bunch of bugs, but, um, I mean, we also added some great new features. So I'll do the, the, mo- the most impressive one last, but... Over in um, Team Explorer, we added some, um, you know, in Source Control Explorer, you can now do View With, which is a bit like Open With, you know, in, in Windows Explorer. So you can you can specify which program you want to view a particular file with, which is quite handy. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, that especially is... for opening up, like, XAML files and things like that. It's quite cool. For what I do right now, I do a lot of, of doing management pack development, which is dealing with XML, and there's yeah. a couple of different tools that I use for, for editing my management packs, and that's going to make it a lot easier to be able to flip directly into the tool I want to use while still making a lot of great use of Team Foundation Server and the version control. So awesome. Yeah, and I, I myself do a, um, some of the, you know, the, the team build workflow stuff in 2010. I... I Quite often prefer to use Notepad or Notepad Two or something to use that, and bit you know rather than firing it up in the designer. So I do an open with and do Notepad Two on that. So that's pretty cool. And and speaking of build, we've got a, there's another feature um, which again I've seen a few people request, and this is one I was always planning on writing and never did, and then found that somebody had stuck it in the power tools. I was like woohoo! And that's um, clone build definition. So basically, you can be on a build definition. You know when you do a branch. And you go branch your files over somewhere, and that that'll take all your build definition stuff with it. But um, you want to, you know, you want a new copy of that build definition that points to this new folder, and so you can do that very easily with just clone build definition, and it'll do a copy of it for you, and then you can just edit it and and uh, point it to a new place to do the build. So that's pretty cool. Awesome. And there's a bunch of other stuff like um, branches, but the most important thing is a new backup. Um, restore wizard in the admin console. So uh, it allows you to easily do a backup of all your TFS databases and set that all up for you and set up all the SQL jobs and copies it into the right place and does lots of magic. It's just brilliant. 
Well, it sounds like our listeners, if you've not looked at the Team Foundation Server Power Tools before, you definitely need to go out there and grab the September release. There's a lot of good functionality in there that can help you solve a lot of problems or fix a lot of gaps that aren't currently in the product out of the box. So I highly recommend that you go go check them out. And we'll have the link in the show notes to Brian Harry's blog where you can can get more information about what's in the power tools. Anyway, we've been uh, we've been chatting away here. We've been Jonathan's been very polite and been quiet on the line. So hey, Jonathan, how are you doing? Doing good, thanks. Great to have you on. Thanks. Great to be here. So um, just in case, uh, I guess most of the people listening to the podcast um, will be aware. But do you want to just uh, quickly recap um, what what Coplex is and what what you do over on the Coplex team? Absolutely. So codeplex.com is Microsoft's open source project hosting website. And, and what that means is, is that for, for developers who want to produce an open source software package and want to be able to collaborate with other developers, uh, they need infrastructure such as uh, a shared source control system that they can work on with other developers, as well as bug tracking, um, some collaboration space uh, they want some ways of being able to interact and distribute their software with the users, such as downloads, uh, the issue tracking, the discussion features. So CodePlex provides all of these kinds of capabilities to allow people to uh, productively work on their open source projects in collaboration with others and interact and distribute their software to uh, the end users of their projects. What, what exactly is your particular role in dealing with CodePlex? So I'm a principal development manager, so I oversee all the the development on the CodePlex software. Now, I'm also uh, involved in a lot of the general kind of management of the CodePlex application as well, but that's in partnership with some other people we have in the team. Uh, I've been involved in CodePlex for a long time, though. I mean, I started uh, working with CodePlex since before the original launch back in 2006. I, I basically have the full history of CodePlex under my belt and have seen it grown from the initial launch when we had around 30 projects to the over 17,000 projects we have hosted on the site today. Now, was CodePlex always TFS backend? So even back in 2006, was it TFS backend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we started working on CodePlex, we, we actually kind of... Uh, timed it with the release of TFS. So because when we are building out the software, the plan at launch is to be based upon the Team Foundation server source control. And, and a big reason for that is that no other, there are other open source hosting sites out there, but none of them offer support for Team Foundation server. So this is something that you know Microsoft wanted to be able to provide to the open source development community. One of, one of a handful of reasons of why we, we wanted to produce CodePlex.com. And so uh, right from the beginning, we were there with the first release. We are trying out the betas, getting it integrated into the software, and making sure there was a good experience for people who wanted to build open source using it. So there's always um, a bit of confusion around CodePlex.com and CodePlex.org. Do you want to just clarify that part in as few sentences as possible in case people are wondering? <laughs> Absolutely. So CodePlex, the foundation, and their website, CodePlex.org, is a an independent foundation from Microsoft, originally funded by Microsoft. So most of their funding right now comes from Microsoft. They're focused on helping commercial software companies participate in open source software projects uh, because there's complexities around people being able to do that and figuring out how uh, 
commercial companies can do that. And so this is a, a problem across the industry that is something they the foundation is is tasked on figuring out. But it's it's an independent organization. The only the only direct relationship is there's a, there's a name sharing and some of the projects that belong to the foundation also are hosted on coplex.com. Well, there's many other projects on coplex.com. You know, you don't you don't have to be part of the foundation to get hosting over on coplex. Anybody can get started. That's right, isn't it? Absolutely. And starting a project in Codeplex is on Codeplex.com is, is easy. It's just a you know three, four minute process. Getting accepted into the foundation has a lot of benefits to it, but it's it's reserved for a very select few projects. So let's talk about that the onboarding process for a bit. You know, when, when somebody goes to the website and wants to you know they've they've got a project they've been working on, they've been working on it with a few people. They decided they want to share source control with a few people and make that open and maybe start generating a community around their particular their particular you know bit of code that they're working on how How does the onboarding process work and what hap- what actually happens in the back end is it all done automatically a, a new project creation things like that yeah i mean that's with seventeen thousand projects it's important that we automate as much as possible so when you go to coplex.com on the home page there's a link saying create new project and it'll ask you your project name a short description and a couple other bits of information and then you click the create button and so this was one of the first challenges we had back in 2006 when we were building the site is how to programmatically create a new project in tfs because it was designed to run you know, to create projects via Visual Studio, the whole create project wizard. And and, and back in 2006, there wasn't a programmatic way to do it. And so th- this is a fun dialogue with the team foundation server team because we asked them, well, you know, we don't want to have to manually create every new project. How, how can you do it programmatically through an alternate interface? And and they came back and said, you know, honestly, that's not something we really thought about for the first version of TFS. And so they they got a little bit creative and said, you know, we have a unit test that we use to test creating a project. Uh, we could share with you our unit test code. It's a little bit it's a little bit uh, of a of a strange way of going about it, but but we get verified that our unit test works. So if you use the if you run the the unit test, then you could use that code. And so it involved some, it involved kind of some weird things. Like we had to make sure that Visual Studio was installed on the server that we run this unit test because the unit test sort of automates the project creation wizard in the background and also install this vSIP unit test package tool. Um, so it, it was pretty quirky, but, you know, we got <laughs> it to work and then we got the automation. And fortunately, I think it was in the, I think it was in the first Power Tools release of 2008 they came up with a command line tool that allows you to create a project. And so we were able to move away from this uh, sharing of their unit test code for automating that. So let me ask, I want to get into the details of, 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 of the guts of CodePlex or as much as you want to tell us. But before I do that, if people create a project on CodePlex, what aspects of Team Foundation Server do they have access to and not have access to? Do they have access to everything or is it just version control or do they have work item tracking you know what? What what pieces of of the puzzle do they get to use? It's not everything. It's source control and and issue tracking. So work item tracking are the two things they get access to. The the number one feature request that we get for in terms of additional capability is to be able to do builds as well. But with the conversation with the data center went a little bit like this. We we said, well, we 
we, you know, people are interested in running their builds and they say, okay, what does running a build mean? And we say, you know, running unit tests and such. And what do these, what do these unit tests need to do? Well, a variety of things. And I mean, executing code, maybe creating databases, maybe doing this, doing that. Executing arbitrary code on Microsoft servers. <laughs> you know, in, our, in our data centers. And that's when we got referred to the security team of the, <laughs> of the, of the data center. And, and ultimately, we, we couldn't figure out a, we haven't been able to figure out a good plan of allowing people to be able to run all the stuff that they need to be able to do in their builds at the same time as satisfying the the data center security team. So unfortunately, we haven't been able to offer that. Maybe we can figure out something at some point, but but that's uh, an example of, of a feature that's been asked for a lot, but we haven't figured out how to do yet. Well, people can have, I mean, if they're using, say, something like, because obviously team build, you can't currently have a build server outside of the firewall. But you can use something like cruise control to do builds if you had a box kicking around yourself that you wanted to hook up to Coplex, can't you? Oh, absolutely. And so a lot of people will do that today. They'll use cruise control or team cities is a more popular one mm. these days. The integration that you can get using team build and team foundation server is something that they're used to in their corporate environments and they appreciate a lot. And so, you know, when you come back and say, well, there's alternatives, you can set up cruise control at team city. They, they say, well, well, what's that? And why can't I use the same thing that I use uh, with TFS in other places? So, you know, we, we have, we can help walk them through it, but, but, you know, there's certainly a desire there to be able to use team build. So interestingly, last time, last episode, we had, we were chatting with Paul, who who he he does commercial TFS hosting, and the build problem was uh, one one of his biggest issues as well. You know, because currently they do provide some services because they obviously they're a you know they're a hosting company, so they provide VMs to customers as well. But he he today has to provide a um, a VM to every single customer, basically a dedicated build box to every single one, because again. Um, in a shared hosting environment, if you're running builds, not only can you not only can you do anything you want on that machine because you can basically run any code on that machine, you can also go interfere with anybody else running code on that machine. You could go, you know, get someone else's source if they've all got the same permissions. So there's a lot of interesting problems to to solve there in in terms of hosting build servers on the, in the net. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why, you know, if, if we were a commercial hosting company, we could probably host an individual VM for each project. But we, we also asked about the data center. Could you host 17,000 VMs for yeah. us? And, Inside, and, and, they, and they gave us a quote on that, and it wasn't something that we were going to be able to do. You know, running a free hosted service uh, puts certain constraints that even Microsoft has to has to consider. So I noticed that the, you know, the work item tracking uh, the process template you have to do issue tracking in Coplex, it's um, it, everybody uses the same pro, uh, process template. Is that correct? Yeah, and there's some interesting background around that as well because we've definitely had some requests being able to customize that or run, say, the you know the MSF Agile template or the new Agile template that came with TFS 2010, and 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 a couple of things. One of it goes. One of the core things really goes into the integration we have with the Coplex website. Um, and so, for example, if you run the the Team Foundation Server Web Access client, and this is actually something we've got set up. I don't know if you've tried it, but if you go to you know our TFS servers, you can access the the normal Team Foundation Server Web Access ah, client. I didn't know that. But but you can only but it only works if you have a login to one of the projects. In other words, you can't anonymously use it. And so, uh, but the Coplex website is how you can anonymously 
view the source code and view the work item tracking. But but there's a secret tip for you is, is you can access the the web access client, which is a really slick client, particularly in TFS 2010. It's just getting cooler and cooler with each version. And so for us, having to write our own integration into the into the source control and the work item tracking and our own screen to be able to interact with that, uh, we we didn't really want to go through the whole process of being able to, of having to read what the project's template configuration is and try to render the controls and deal with the workflow the way that they've done in the uh, in the uh, web access client. And so that's the primary reason why we've, we've been stuck. We've stuck with just the single template. There's actually other another reason in that it does affect certain scalability characteristics and previous and and particularly with TFS 2008, that was important to us because uh, scaling was more challenging with 2008. So we needed to do as much as we can to limit that and keeping a single simple template uh, helps with the scaling. Yeah, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll chuck a link in the um, show notes to, I did a discussion about um, work item metadata and uh, work item metadata filtering, which was a new you know thing that was added in SB1 to help to help around some of this scalability issues. But um, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes anyway, in case anybody wants to dig into a bit more into some of those scalability issues that you faced and and how you can how having one process template helps work around them, but also how in the more you know the later versions of TFS, some of that's already worked around for everybody. So anyway, sorry, Mickey, I'm I'm hogging Jonathan time here. Have you got Have you got something? Oh yes. So Brian Harry posted off that um Codeplex has done a, has upgraded to Team Foundation Server 2010. What I'd kind of like to hear from you is or as much as you you can tell us, what was the old environment like? What was the 2008 environment like? How did the upgrade go? Was was it smooth? Have you been able to to consolidate servers? Are you making use of the load balancing features in 2010? Are you using virtualization? I was just kind of curious if you could give our listeners an idea of what used to be there. The what happened during the upgrade and what you got now? Absolutely. So I, I can start off talking a little bit about the the previous setup we had using Team Foundation Server 2008. And so with Team Foundation Server 2008, each uh, we had ten instances running of it, and we had on each instance, you know, over fifteen hundred projects. Wow. And so this uh, this is a lot, especially considering I believe the recommendation for t- 2008 was to not put more than 200 projects yeah, in the server. Yeah, 200, 250. <laughs> yeah, and so we we were pushing it to to over 1500, and and that was causing some issues. I mean, we would get emails from users in New Zealand complaining about, okay, I, I'm connecting to one of your TFS servers. I've got my coffee. I'm back, and I'm thinking maybe I need to go get another coffee. It was just, it was, it was, uh, there were some problems, and that's why they don't recommend going more than 200. But at the same time, if we had kept it to 200 to 250, we would have had over, you know, six times as many. We would have had 60 TFS servers running, which just, Again, you get go back to that the data center team and say, "Okay, we need to go up to 60. And, and they start to cry. And so, the um, so we were growing the number of projects and TFS instances, and that was slowing down the experiences for users and and creating other weird problems along the way. So we we've been we were sort of desperately waiting for TFS 2010 to come out to help save us from this situation, and we were holding things together at the seams, but 
some days we're getting a little bit nervous. So, so but with TFS 2010, here's what we were able to do. We had uh, the biggest thing is converting all of our instances to collections. And and here's uh, and so by converting things to a collection, that doesn't require us anymore to have a dedicated virtual machine for the app tier and a dedicated SQL instance for the data tier for each collection. Because you can you can put multiple collections in a single SQL instance and have a single app tier machine serve multiple collections. And so that just was huge for us because collections are really a fairly lightweight thing. So now we are, you know, expanding it out to dozens of collections and it's not a problem for our servers because we have we have a 24 core 64 gigabyte SQL server and i think the tfs guidance is that you can you can easily put up to 75 collections on a server like that and so that's that's what we're planning to do is we're planning to load it up and get the the project count per collection down to under 500 so 500 in maximum and this makes a big difference for the performance of things like connecting to the client and just and just makes tfs happier just makes us happier and and we never really had a problem with with cpu utilization before it was more trying to keep within the reasonable project count per uh tfs limit i mean how many multiples of the recommended limit we are going to go to is something we thought about and now we can keep much closer to the recommended limit and and not have to worry about CPU utilization because all this consolidation still wasn't maxing out the 24 CPUs that we have. So we went from having 10, insta- 10 uh, virtual machines for the app tier instances. Now we're running with just four and the CPU is healthy. Now the other great thing about this is that um, with the... TFS 2008 setup, we are dedicating one CPU per virtual machine. And so one CPU is, is that average-wise was okay, but if you do a single intensive operation in TFS, it can spike a single CPU. And so that was interfering with other users. If one user on a particular server was doing something very intensive, other users on that server would notice while they're doing it. But now with the, the load balancing, by having these four tier servers able to load balance across all collections, we don't have that problem of having an op, a user operation basically dedicated to a single CPU based upon which collection they're associated to, it can move uh, users' requests to any of the four servers that's least loaded. And so the amount of spikes that we have and the interference with other users has been dramatically improved as well. That's amazing. And it's amazing to see the number, you know, the number of um, team projects you've got on on so few application tiers. It's uh, it's great to see. There must be quite a um, obviously with open source projects. You know, a lot of people a lot of people wouldn't be writing to them all the time. You know what I mean? They would be writing to them infrequently and lots of reads. Did you look at um, how much investigation have you done around the number of sort of team projects per project collection versus project collections? Because there's some there's some optimizations in TFS around. You know, when when a project collection hasn't been accessed for a certain number of seconds or minutes, it, it sort of puts it to sleep and, and frees up those resources and things like that. I was just wondering if you've if you played with that part at all, if you're going on guidance based from the team. We're, we're still uh, 
looking at some of those things to figure out what is uh, optimal. But in some ways, the few like for things like server connection times from, from Team Explorer, the fewer projects you have in a collection, the faster it is. And so it, we want to try to get that number as low as we can. But at the same time, the recommendation for a SQL server of our magnitude is based upon how many active collections you have at any one time. Yeah. And so that's why for us, because open source projects, it's not like you have people working eight hours a day every day in these. So not all of them are active. I mean, out of 17,000 projects, you know, many of those go a month between being any, having an active check-in or more. And so we might be able to go higher than the normal recommendation of of around 75 collections for a a 64 gigabyte SQL server because of that, because we have far fewer active. And so uh, that's something uh, we will be looking at to see as we add more collections, how many are active at one point. So can we exceed the recommended threshold and still have a good experience for users? Yeah, because it's it's an interesting problem because 75 is obviously, you know, while you could move things off to data tiers and things, and that would, that would mean more databases, and so that's not 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 that good. But seventy five is low enough a number that you wouldn't want to have each team project in a project collection, you know, because obviously that would be great. Because um, if they're not active, then that's fantastic; they go away and it frees up the resources. But then again, you know, the odds of you having more than seventy five active in a thirty minute period is very, very, very high. So you know, you can't you can't do it that way. So yeah, it's an interesting an interesting conundrum as to what the optimization is for your for your type of workload. And and remember that the limitation is is in some ways based upon how SQL Server is designed because it's it's really the you know the the limit they specify is based upon how many active databases you should have at one time in SQL Server based upon caching various things around each active yeah. database. And so it's it's not exactly a TFS thing. It's really it's, it's really in some ways the recommended limits around SQL Server in terms of number of active databases of yeah. you know the type and scale of what the TFS database uh-huh. is. So um you mentioned uh, there that the ATs are, uh, are virtualized, the application is virtualized. And is it talking to like a single physical database, or do you know what? Do you, is it just a normal database backend? Obviously, a big one. Yeah, yeah. So the way uh, our operation teams work is they like all web servers to run off virtual machines. I mean, and the reason they like to run things on virtual machines is because it makes things a lot easier for them. But being able to do things like Migrate in virtual, you know, migrate in virtual machines between servers if we need to uh, replace a server or reorganize things. So, in general, they just come with the policy of all all web servers run in a virtual machine. So that's why all of our app tiers are running on a virtual machine. And so, I think the physical host that they use for our web servers is like a, I think it's a six, I think it's sixteen gigabytes of memory, and I think it's eight processors, if I remember correctly. And so anyway, so they normally run two or three virtual machines on the physical machines and allocate a subset of that. And But for the SQL servers, they don't run those into virtual machines. They run those on the bare metal hardware um, because SQL servers, they really want to eke out the maximum performance possible. And and we run big enough servers and run big enough load on them that that they don't normally need to worry about like server consolidation to maximize utilization. You can do that just by putting more databases in a SQL server. So it's in, in effect, it has its own mechanism of, for server consolidation just by consolidating databases on a single server. 
Well, this this has been some awesome information. I want to I want to turn the conversation a little bit though, because one of the other things that that I'm interested in, a lot of our listeners are interested in, are you know application lifecycle management and processes and the processes different people use. So I was wondering for your team, is there is there a particular process that y'all follow to get stuff done? Do y'all use uh, do y'all use Scrum or use um, any other type of process? And I was curious what you use and how you go about using it. Uh, how long are your sprints? You know, just any information you want to give us so that so we understand from a team perspective how your team works on the back end. Absolutely. And so our team is very uh, agile oriented. I mean, I, I myself have been using agile methodologies and projects since um, since around 2000. In fact, the first agile project I, I worked on, we hired Kent Beck to help coach the project because it was the first <laughs> time we we worked awesome. on it in an agile method. Yeah, now you, now awesome. you work with Jim Newkirk. That is, uh, you've had a somewhat lucky career, Jonathan. I, I've also had a chance to work with Ward Cunningham for a while. So I, I've worked with some of the top names in in agile before. So it has been very lucky. And so, but but I I kind of got bit by the agile bug very early on. I mean, I read the original XP book. We hired Kent on to help coach one of our projects because he wasn't really famous yet. This is just early on and it was easy to get his time. And I really got convinced by the attributes that it focuses on because agile really focuses on productivity and efficiency and the ability to adapt to change. And to me, I just thought it was a great way and some great tools of, of running projects. So, so ever since then, it's been my, my standard approach that I like to use or, or mindset that I like to think about. And so in CodePlex, uh, back in, late 2005 when i joined the project it was it was already an agile oriented project when i when i joined it but i continued on with helping it to follow uh strong agile practices and continuously improve and and i'd say we're probably more influenced by extreme programming than scrum but but you know when you look at some of the planning parts and particularly scrum focuses a lot on the planning parts um in, in some ways, the similarity. So those are, are look similar to both. But we t- in, we tend to use terminology like iterations instead of sprints. Just uh, that comes from the XP background. Um, and for us, it's important because we we've, we've made the commitment to release a new version of CodePlex.com every three weeks. And we've made the commitment that we let our users have a strong hand on the steering wheel of, of driving where we go. So if you go back into the last year and see all the new things that we've done, uh, the vast majority have come from what users have submitted to our, our idea request form and voted up to the top. And so, you know, us being able to respond and, and they'll do things like voting campaigns to get their favorite item up there. And so once something pops to the list and it can happen quickly, we'll put that into the next uh, into the next release cycle and change insert into our plans and be able to get it out, you know, sometimes in as few as, uh, you know, a, a handful of weeks versus, you know, like a six month release cycle or something. So have y'all hit that goal of a new release every three weeks so far? Yeah, we've been on a three week release cycle for, I, I, I don't think it was since the very beginning of the project, but I think for the last three years, and and certain exceptions, like if the third week falls on Christmas, then we'll postpone it for a week and things like that. But but otherwise, I mean, you know, we're very consistent with the three week release cycle. And it's funny, people know that now. And so it's it's every three weeks we have people, you know, coming to the side and saying, OK, let's see what they've got coming out today. And 
And a lot of times they there's exciting stuff because they want to know if it's the thing that they've been voting for that is going to get released in the next release cycle. So one of the most important things about doing, you know, rapid releases like that is being able to uh, deploy easily, being able to, you know, deploy out to production and also being able to roll back if things go hideously wrong. How do you manage some of that sort of stuff? Well, we have that's like for an example of uh, deploying to the web servers, what we do is we take half of our web service out of rotation and then we will deploy the new software to those web servers and test them in the background. And so being out of rotation means they're no longer receiving public traffic. And so we try the new web servers running the new software. If it works, then we say, cool, we flip we turn, we take the four servers running the old software out of rotation and bring in the four servers that have the new software running on it. And then we let that go for a little bit, do a full smoke test. And then if everything is going smoothly, then we upgrade the remaining four web servers and bring those into rotation. So all eight of our, of our website servers are running the new software. Now, it gets more complicated if database upgrades get involved. So if we need to do database schema upgrades, there's some additional things that we do with that. You know, we take a backup of the database. We run our database upgrade script, do some smoke testing around that, and then before we go into production. And, of course, all these steps are things that we've done before in uh, staging and test environments multiple times to ensure that everything's going to go smoothly. But that's, that's a quick uh, summary of how we go about the process. So obviously with the testing there, um, do you guys, I mean, is all the testing you have, is it all automated testing? Do you have a mix of unit test, integration tests, or, or is it manual testing? How, how do, how, what's your test approach? Well, for our, it, it's a mix of several things. I mean, we have an extensive unit test suite. I mean, I think it's upwards of, it's well, I think it's over 3,000, maybe up to about 5,000 unit tests for the software. So that's something that developers run every time before they check in and it gets on in every build. And then our testing team also produces uh, full kind of end-to-end automation tests using web browser automation tools. And, you know, similar, we also do load testing. So we use, you know, Visual Studio team test and have a bunch of, of load tests configured in that that we run every release to check to see if we made any feature run slower and make sure that that's not something that's going to cause a problem when we go into production. Uh, we don't have, particularly in all of our web browser testing, we don't have that all 100% automated because there's a trade-off of how much time it takes to automate a test case versus how much time it takes to manually run it. And sometimes the return on investment there doesn't have quite the right ratio. And, and then when we do a deployment, we have what we call a build verification test. And that's a subset of the basically test the main core features to make sure that they work. And that's that's also a mix of uh, automated tests that we run against the new build plus some manual sanity testing. So you mentioned us earlier that users are, are voting on new features that they want to add to CodePlex. So is there a place on CodePlex that they can, people can go to recommend new features or what they'd like to have added, that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. So when you go to the CodePlex homepage, there is a link on the homepage called Improve CodePlex. And so that takes you to the board where people are requesting new features and voting on features. And so that's something we've had in place for 
a long, long time. So you can pe- see things that people have added in there as requests from years back. And you can also look to see all the things that we've closed. And you can see how we are actively responding to these. And it's interesting because sometimes people will request features that are, you know, they really desire, but they've also they didn't think that ever would be possible or would happen. And, and an example is when people ask for, for subversion support, they asked for this and it became the top voted feature and had been that way for a long time. And and everybody was speculating, oh, this is something they will never do. This is something Microsoft never do. But, you know, we really looked at this problem and said, you know, I think let's we, we got it was kind of a crazy idea when we first thought of it. We, we said, let's try creating. Let's see if it's possible to create a protocol adapter that lets people use subversion clients against the Team Foundation Server API. Because at the end of the day, I mean, when people are asking for it, that, that's what they're really talking about. They want to use Tortoise SVN or other subversion clients that they like and get that experience. At the same time, you know, we wanted to try sharing the same source control infrastructure instead of running, you know, multiple different types because, one, that allows people to use both Team Explorer and subversion clients in the same project. Any project owner can just mix and match of what the developers want to use. And so we went down this path. We did initial proof of concept and said, you know, I think this is actually fairly possible. And so we spent six, uh, I was like six, 12 months working on this. We call it SVN Bridge that allows you to uh, make you subversion protocol calls to this adapter that then converts them into the TFS API and allows them to use subversion clients. And so, you know, you'll see that one in the history of the feature requests that we've closed. And it's become a very popular feature. And we really try hard. I mean, and that one was a hard one to do. But we try hard to give people what they want. You certainly do. And it's uh, it's been, you know, as a, as a Coplex user since a very early days, it's just always amazing to go to the site and, and just see what's changed. You know, it, every time you go back to the site, it feels almost for me that there's another little new feature here or another feature there. And it's just, it's just great to see, especially being in Microsoft. It's, it's great to see an example of, a, of an agile team uh, doing well and getting stuff out the door, you know, as quickly as possible. So, Hey, um, unfortunately, I, you know, I think Mickey would agree. We, we could, uh, we could talk to you all day. It's been a, 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 one of the best episodes ever, I think we should say, but, um, just probably should start wrapping up. So um, one quick feature um, I've got, it now, now that I am actually on the TFS team, uh, which I should probably, you know, do a bit of uh, corporate stuff. So uh, if, if there was a, um, a feature that you, you could have, you know, you could wave a magic wand and have added to TFS, what would that be? Oh, wow. Well, well, that's a little bit of a hard one because, you know, do I take the selfish perspective and say, what, what would I really, really wish for? Or do I or I'd be generous and say, you know, hey, I think what our Coplex users would most like. Oh, you can have one of each. How about that? Yeah. You can, you <laughs> okay. Well, if I was to take the selfish perspective and say, you know, something I'd really be interested in seeing them try to do, I, I would be really interested if they tried to incorporate some distributed version control features into TFS source control. I mean, we that there's some inter- very interesting ideas that are going on around that that I think could play in well with the rest of what Team Foundation Server is doing. So, you know, I guess I'm not sure if it would be a great idea or not, but I, that for me would be something I would love to see what that would look like and how that would come out. So which now, particular aspect of DVCS do you think? Do you think it's 
like being able to work well offline or um or some of the you know the improvements in branching or which part is it I, you know i think there's really three things about it i mean that it, there's there's certainly the offline characteristics of dvcs are are awesome i mean you know team foundation stuff has been adding more and more offline capabilities but a a dvcs approach really gives you complete offline capabilities there's also the the branching and merging that they have is very sophisticated and i think it's something else and so that's why it, you're right in some ways it's these features but it, it's the I think the DVCS approach that enables some of these features that I think are, would be interesting. And then really the, I mean, with DVCS, that, that whole peer-to-peer basis is, is cool in that if you, if you clone a repository, you can then just turn on your local repository to be a server if you want it to be to share with other people. And so you can have sub-servers, for example, or do different interesting things. It's just there's very neat features that allow you to do things in a little bit of new ways. And so, for example, Team Foundation Server has all the capabilities around doing, um, oh, I'm, I'm spacing on the name of it, but the uh, shelf sets. Shelf sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you have the shelf sets. Yeah, so in, but you, in open source projects, typically you want to be able to patch things around everywhere. You don't want to be able to send patches to different people and that sort of thing. Well, well, what they do is they basically, it's kind of the equivalent of client-side shelf sets. And so if you if you create a client-side shelf set, then you can share that with people in interesting ways that then um, is is just an interesting model. And so that's why, as I said, I, you know, I, I, there's interested ideas there that I would like to see, you know, uh, attempted to be incorporated into team foundation server in different ways. And is that the, was that the selfish one or was that the, what the customers would like one? Well, you know, that was a selfish one, but honestly, I think, uh, from customers a customer like perspective, yeah. yeah, that would be something very interesting to them. But, but if I look at the Codeplex users, the ones that, want to be able to the ones that are active team foundation server users and and are asking for more things uh you know something more around team build support would probably be the first one and i guess there are, i guess there are probably two things there's a team build support because right now like people can run cruise control and team city on their own servers fairly effectively you can't really still do that with the team build so being able to run team build on their own server and connect to their Codeplex project uh, would be something that they'd be interested in doing. And I think another thing that would be useful is if, if you're using Team Explorer with your project, it it ha- sets up all the team bindings into the files. And this this makes it a little bit awkward to share your source code with people who are not part of the project because when they open the source code, it try attempts to connect to the server and then they get access denied so there's a little bit of an awkward experience there so i guess i guess i'll really say two things i'm not sure which one i put first is is better you know ability to use team build in their own service and and a way of being able to use team explorer without uh anonymous access sort of thing yeah they, they give people sharing it anonymous access well jonathan this has been a great show. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and talk to us about all the details around CodePlex and what you're doing behind the scenes with Team Foundation Server 2010 and what you've got going on. I hope we'll be able to get you back on sometime in the future. Absolutely. I'd love to come on anytime. I want to remind our listeners that you can find us at RadioTFS.com or you can email us at RadioTFS at gmail.com. On behalf of Martin, this is Mickey. Thank you for listening.